Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where at least one of us is very cold and snowy and not not terribly pleased about that because she wants it to be spring. Uh, I am <laughs> Lauren Humphreys-Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. It's uh, 53 and clear here. So I hear you. Well, I you're welcome to come out here anytime you want. I dream of 53. See, we this, have a guest room. I, I'm telling you, this this is when, like, I'm, every other time of the year, I'm like, I don't want to move to L.A., like, <laughs> keep moving to California, leaving New York to go to L.A. Right, but, but, and then it gets to be, like, February, and I'm just like, I could live in California. I think I would be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see? I'd take it all the fun spots. Yeah, totally. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know people in California, actually. You do. Um, come on out anytime like i said we have a guest room i do i do want to come to visit at some point i don't think i'm going to be moving to california anytime soon but i do actually want to go to california you can because just winter honestly, here because 53 <laughs> is like oh my god that's so warm i could walk around with like a t-shirt <laughs> so exciting oh my god <laughs> yeah yeah even even like for me where it's like oh that just sounds cold but when it's when you're out in the sun 53 when it's sunny is actually yeah it's very pleasant even when you're used to it being 70 or 80 (laughs) yes i'm looking forward to when it's like 53 in new york and i can open my balcony door and be like ah everybody outside (laughs) yep anyways so yes that's the weather report um it's cold (laughs) (laughs) how are you doing karen i'm doing okay i don't know it's been kind of a weird week it's been one of those weeks where i just kind of feel out of sorts but i've been trying to just like be on top of stuff so i feel like i accomplished some good things but i also just want to nap i just want to like crawl in bed throw the covers over my head and just sleep all day (laughs) i i understand that i mean i feel like that that's what february is tends to be at least i always get a little bit like don't don't make me do anything like not even like fun things just nothing just i'm just gonna sit here (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm Yeah. Uh, but we have things that we want to talk about today. Um, some interesting things, at least, at least two kind of somewhat disparate uh, topics, which we ha- tend to do on this podcast. <laughs> um, but to start out with, we wanted to talk about this issue of celebrity biopics and, um, and not just celebrity biopics, but media involving like celebrity scandals, um, court cases, trials, things like that, uh, and the issue of consent. Because uh, Hulu recently released a limited series called Pam and Tommy, which is about the relationship between Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee, and specifically about the release of their sex tape, 
um back in when was that 90s 90s 95 95 95 96 and see i so i was young at that point but i do actually remember this because this was like these very early days of the internet this was very like kind of the beginning of some of the celebrity sex tape things and um and the the big issue of course was that this was not a tape that they made and then released themselves this was a tape that was stolen from them uh from their house and was kind of disseminated uh online and was disseminated by uh, by a porn producer um and turned into this whole like kind of celebrity circus where uh pam anderson was being asked about it on the tonight show there were all of these conversations that kind of got going around this celebrity couple who had had this whirlwind romance wedding and you know everyone was seeing them have sex and and this was in the context this was a a, a honeymoon tape right so this was in the context of like it was a it was a section of the tape that was actually stolen from them but it was it was of course the one that everyone focused on um and the issue i think in the back of this television show is the fact that pam anderson did not give her consent for the show to be made um in fact she didn't have to give her consent because the show itself is based on a rolling stone article about the theft of the tape and and how it got disseminated so essentially they they kind of by optioning the rights to this article they sort of circumvented the need to get her or for that matter tommy lee's consent um but tommy lee has kind of been like yeah whatever i don't care it's cool fine pam anderson has been completely silent about this uh this is not something that she agreed to at any level um, even though, according to the producers, according to the writers, according to Lily James, who plays her in the show, they tried to get in touch with her, they tried to talk to her, and she just did not respond. Um, but they went ahead and made the show anyways. So it's it's a weird, it's a weird issue because you have this show that is about the violation of of a woman's consent at the end of the day, right? And they made it without the consent of the person that they're depicting. So Karen, I want you to start off. Like, what what are your thoughts about this? I have very intense feelings about this, but you've actually gotten to watch a bit of the show. I have not yet, and I don't know if I'm actually going to because it, it just feels very icky to me. Yeah, and honestly, I've basically watched the first episode, and I probably will stop there. I don't care if it gets better, um, because it just the way that it starts off just feels so gross to me. But um, because <laughs> Because ultimately, yeah, they're they're billing this as a Pam and Tommy story. That's literally what it's called, Pam and Tommy. Um, Pam doesn't have a line of dialogue until 17 and a half minutes in, other than a recreation of that Tonight Show interview from a year after this all happened. And so the whole first episode, and maybe this is how they're convincing themselves in their mind that they're doing okay by not having you know, her, her approval or her consent or her involvement. But the whole first episode is about Rand, the guy that stole the tape. And it builds him up as this sympathetic person of like, well, yeah, fuck Tommy. I get why he would want to, you know, get some revenge on him. And then poor Pam is just like caught in the middle of this feud between these two guys, uh, which is exactly what happened. But, 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 even really what the show is, is beside the point. Because as you said, this is really the issue at hand here is that they're making a show, making a movie that's supposed to like 
supposed to be like, you know, really getting into what that experience was for them and, and how this completely turned a year of their lives upside down. Their marriage was already from the beginning, like from the moment they got married, their marriage was already doomed. And this is supposed to be, you know, really getting into how this experience affected them. And it just, it doesn't, it feels like it's really just about a salacious, you know, celebrity show. And this is, I guess for me, um, cause we can, we'll talk about some other projects and, and the differences when they get, you know, involvement from the people they're depicting when they don't and stuff like that. But, um, it, you know, people always want to turn to, well, well they have the right to do this. You know, this is news. Like you said, this is based on a Rolling Stone article that was published. And it's like, okay, yeah, sure. They have the right to make these projects because legally there are very few protections for people who are being depicted if they're public figures. But that doesn't make it, you know, a good thing to do. It doesn't make it... Just because they have the legal right doesn't mean that it's morally right to do these kinds of projects. And... So looking at what I did from the first episode, it's like, yeah, I can see why Pam would want to distance herself from this. And it really frustrates me that so many people are praising the show and saying like, oh, wow, this is so great. And completely ignoring the fact that this is exploiting probably one of the worst, most difficult times of her life. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, a, a lot of the reviews that I've read um, have gone into this this question of, you know, what the show says about consent, mm-hmm. right? And about the fact that, and, and you know, anyone who really knows anything about Pam Anderson, like she was the big star on Baywatch. She appeared in Playboy. She was kind of um, treated as the, she was a sex object, right? She was treated right. as a sex object. Well, and she put herself out there. She built her career on, on that. Yeah. But that gave people this like false idea that they had, that they had some sort of ownership over her body because of it. Well, and and that's the thing. And I have seen a number of of reviews that have talked about the fact, you know, her choosing to pose in Playboy. That's her choice, right? That's something that she's allowed to do. She is allowed to use her body in that way. And and she got paid for it, right? She got she got, you know, that was something that she had a degree of control over. And there's always, I think, this this tension when you're actually talking about women who are primarily known for their sexuality. Um, and in much at a much earlier level, you know, if you talk about someone like Jane Russell or Marilyn Monroe, who are also treated as being these objects, right? These things that are there to be looked at. And the the excuse is always, well, if they didn't want people to objectify them, then why did they do these movies? Why, you know, why did Pam Anderson pose in Playboy, etc.? It's like, well, there's a difference between having control of your own objectification and not, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And and that's and that was the the major difference, right? When the the sex tape comes out, this is not something like I said. This was not something that was made to be sold. Right. This was something that was made for them personally. They put it in a safe in their house. Right. So this was not something that it's not like they were leaving it lying around. Right. Um, and it's just like, hey, man, watch this. You know, it's and then it was stolen from them and it was used for profit. And, and the excuse very often was was very much about Pam Anderson's persona. 
and it's like well you know that's what she is she's this this sex object so that's what we're treating her as um and so there are a number of reviews that address that element but the the discomfort is i i absolutely agree the discomfort is that the show itself is just another form of exploitation because if you're doing this without her consent then you're essentially like you say dredging up this very painful moment in her past that she has become known for primarily right mm-hmm. um and and making a show about it even if you ultimately come down to well but we support her and a number of the uh the the people involved the showrunner um the writers etc have talked about the fact that you know um it's uh what's his name siegel uh robert siegel says uh you know we're very much taking the side when you tell people about the show and about the tape when i bring up the subject of the tape I was shocked by how many people assumed that Anderson and Lee were in on it, which is something I'm happy we were able to set the record straight about. We very clearly unambiguously present them as the victims of a crime, which they were. Um, Okay, great. But you're now committing another act of violation against them. Exactly. Um, Why are you making this in the first place? Are you like, if they're not asking you to set the record straight, why, why do you feel like you need to? Well, and as presumably Pam Anderson is not profiting from this. At all. Right. Right. So again, you have a t- it, and it just boggles my mind that at no point, I mean, they must have thought about this, but there is just this sensation of like, you, you are profit, you're profiting, right? Hulu, all of the showrunners, all of the writers, everybody involved, Lily James, Sebastian Stan, et cetera, are profiting from a story about a violation of consent without the consent of the person they're depicting. And that's, and, and she's not profiting from it either. So it's kind of a repetition of this violation. Um, Even though, you know, and I, and I think that then you, you get into the excuse, right. Of, well, but uh, we're doing, you know, we, we support her. It's like, obviously you fucking don't. (laughs) You might think that you're supporting her. You might say that, um, you know, she is, she's 100% behind this or that, that uh, she's, she's being um, depicted in a way that is sympathetic. Right. But you're not supporting her because she never wanted this. Right. Yeah, exactly. This is very different. As you mentioned, some of the people involved in this were involved in the American crime story, um, anthology which has the oj case and monica Lewinsky and um the johnny versace murder um yeah and, and, and the monica the, the monica Lewinsky uh episode is produced by monica Lewinsky. right well that's what i was gonna say and so you've got that and then you've also got craig gillespie who directed a couple of the episodes of Pam and Tommy who directed I, Tanya, which was nominated for a couple of Oscars and Tanya Harding was involved in the production of that. And one of the points I saw, I don't remember if it was in the Washington post review or if it was in the um, EW article, but one of the points I saw was that like these women, not only were they involved in telling their story, they were ready to tell their story. They had processed it. They had, you know, they had dealt with it very publicly and very privately. They had, they had, they'd gotten to a point where they felt comfortable talking about it. And then they did. 
and they were directly involved in the projects that were depicting their stories. So this is a very different situation because in this case, we don't know if Pam has even, you know, processed it. We don't know where she stands on it because she doesn't talk about it and she has every right not to talk about it. She doesn't owe us anything. And for her to then also not be involved in this and for them to basically just like reach out and not even get an answer. That seems to be what happened. Like she didn't even say, no, I don't want anything to do with it or no, I don't want you to make it. Like she just ignored them and they just went, all right, cool. Well, we're going to do it anyway. Well, I have a feeling that if she had said no, they basically would have been like, oh, we're just going to do it anyways. Yeah. We'll make some changes then or something. Yeah. Um, and and if she said yes, obviously she would have been giving them the attention that they wanted to to be giving them the permission that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but if she had said yes, at least it would be like, okay, this is actually, you know, you actually have the person that this is depicting saying like, okay, yeah, sure, fine, go ahead. You know, like Tommy Lee, who's just like, right. yeah, I don't care, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in fact, it's interesting at the uh, at the conclusion of the EW article that kind of breaks down this this whole thing and. I'm interested at how intensely people are trying to justify the production of this show. <laughs> but um, but at, at the very end of it, it's basically like, you know, they weren't worried about how we would feel about not being involved in the series. Um, and uh, D. Vincentis, who uh, is, one of, is one of the showrunners or one of the writers, I think. One um, of the writers, yeah said tommy is a public figure and i think we treat him well enough and we've come to know that he's excited about the show but even that is a little distressing we've come to know yeah so like how did you get that like did he tell you that (laughs) so obviously they reached out to pam anderson they may not have even reached out to tommy lee and said like hey we're making this show are you cool with that (laughs) um and you know and he does seem like the sort of person who who would not care particularly and has since said that he that he doesn't particularly care but still, like, you know, be like, hey, are you, are you all right with the fact that we're making this this uh, um, show about this very personal part of your life that definitely had a, a severe impact on your marriage? It's just mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, cool, dude, like, whatever. But, you know, you can't assume that someone is going to react like that. Well, yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's... It's such a, I'm not even sure how, how to say what I want to say, but especially because going back to what I had said before about like the right to tell these stories legally, like it's such a fine line that people are walking because clearly, I mean, I don't know what the Hulu viewership numbers are on this, but, but clearly there's an interest in this story and a lot of average people that are just going to watch something, they don't know or care if the people involved or the people that are being depicted are involved in it at all. Like that doesn't even register to them. They don't care. And there's a whole history of unauthorized biographies and unauthorized biopics where the people that are involved are like, no, this isn't the right story at all. We're not, we're not in favor of this. And they still get viewers because the average reader, the average watcher They don't pay attention to what's going on behind the scenes. They're trusting that the people that are making these stories are just going to, you know, tell a good, good story and do a good job. And I don't know. It's just such a tricky 
It's such a tricky situation. And I don't, I mean, I don't want to say like, well, they should no, actually, you know what I am going to say? It. They should not make these projects unless the people that they're about are on board with it. They don't have to be directly involved in the production. They have to be okay with it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I mean, I think that there's always a, a, there's always a difficulty, especially when you're talking about things that are particularly scandalous, right? Yeah. Um, and when you're talking about certain celebrities, because you're kind of like, well, you want to present truth, right? You want to kind of get at the truth of what happened. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to be concerned about not just the people who were involved in it, but also their, you know, their desires and their families and things like that. Um, and so, you know, one of the ones that I always think about is the fact that Martin Scorsese for a long time try was trying to make the Sinatra biopic mm -hmm. um, and finally gave up on it because he basically couldn't come to a, an agreement with the Sinatra family. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that probably there were certain points of contention. There were certain ways that the Sinatra family wants, wants Frank Sinatra to be remembered and to be portrayed. Um, and so there's a little bit of conflict there where you're like, well, you want to deal with some of the less savory aspects maybe um, of someone like Frank Sinatra. But obviously the family for the most part is not going to want that. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when, when it ultimately comes down to it, it's just like, do we need a Sinatra biopic? You know, no. do not not particularly. Do we need a television show about Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee? Not not really. We don't. There right. are plenty of other things that we can talk about. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like. Um, so <laughs> I was actually thinking a lot this week about, and this goes more into the quality when you have people involved and and what parts of the stories they're willing to tell. Because uh, the other thing is when you have the people that it's about, when you have them involved in the production, then it can go some very different and uh, <laughs> less honest ways, too. For example, the difference between Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man, yeah. where Bohemian Rhapsody was done without the involvement of Freddie Mercury's family. And I'm sure Freddie Mercury wouldn't have been cool with the way that, that it was presented. But you have, like, Brian May and and some of the others that were involved in that that are like, no, we were, we, we went home to our families every night. He was the one that was out partying and doing all the crazy shit. And so then you have this very untruthful biopic. Whereas with Rocket Man, you have Elton John, who's very open about his past and very open about the fact that he was an asshole and he is okay with letting that be depicted on screen. And so you have a much more truthful and also much more entertaining movie overall. Um, but I think that that's a big, that's a big part of the difference is that in that the main people that were depicted in that are Bernie and Elton and they both were very involved in it. And not just giving permission, but they were like, yeah, here's here's the real truth of our story. Whereas Bohemian Rhapsody didn't have that because obviously Freddie is not here to tell his story. Yeah, it, no, exactly. And I, I, I mean, I think that, that was that was actually an example that I think this is it's like Rocket Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that Rocket Man definitely shows that you can make a biopic with the consent and the involvement of the of the people involved and still go into some of those less savory aspects of who they were and who yeah. they are. Um, and some of that is also about the comfort level of Elton John. Obviously he is in a place 
where he was able to talk about that and was able to reveal those things about himself. And if you um, can't get that kind of permission, even if they don't want to sit and like tell you their story, but if they're not willing to go along with the fact and sign off on the fact that you want to make this story, then you then the people that are doing these shows and, and movies need to step back and say, this comes back to what we were talking about. Like Pam's not even, uh, you know, be, um, getting compensated for this show at all. And that's where you need to step back and say, like, okay, why why do you need to tell this story then if they're not comfortable with their actual story being told? Why do you feel this need to tell it? Why where yeah. why do you feel like you have the right or the responsibility or the moral imperative or whatever it is to involve yourself in someone else's life? Well, and there exactly, and there are plenty of um, television shows and films that take celebrity scandals and fictionalize them, yeah, right, and and essentially take them and be like, okay, we're going to write a story that is based on this, but we're not actually going to do this, and that's that in some ways that's a workaround because usually you know like what this this the story is based on, but mm -hmm. at least that's kind of, that's not presenting this as an unassailable like as a biopic, right, as right. a um, as a as at some level a fact and I think that that's one of the things that makes me uncomfortable about the the Pam and Tommy thing generally um, is this is what Pam to for a lot of people right now this is going to be their primary memory of who Pam Anderson is mm -hmm. um, and it's definitely the most embarrassing and and difficult part of of her life probably and yeah. it's obviously not something that she has wanted to to deal with publicly um and and the fact is we feel so strongly that we own celebrities that we own their images we own their and not just we we don't just own their images because we do at, at some level we do own their images we own what Pam Anderson did on Baywatch, right? Mm -hmm. Every one of those episodes, that belongs to us. What doesn't belong to us is everything she did off screen. Right. And that's, but we feel like we do own that. We feel like we do possess her at some level. And I think that that's true for uh, for pretty much every celebrity. We, we act like their lives belong to us. And that includes every problem they've ever had every darkness in their past every and everything good that they do mm -hmm. it all belongs to the public and at a certain point you begin to go like well, this this is a real violation of people who are complicated who are assholes who are kind people who are like all kinds of different things and and we can't fit that into a, a cute little narrative right well and and something you just said too uh, part of the problem with biopics is that, um, and, and I enjoy well done ones. I mean, like I said, rocket man, I love that movie. It's a great movie. I actually just watched it again recently. Um, and it's still fantastic. But, um, the, one of the issues that comes up when you have a biopic is that there's this assumption that everything you see is accurate, that this is the truth about this person's story. And that, you know, you don't, sometimes people, you know, will be interested enough to go and look up the real facts, but most of the time we just like, oh, well, we saw it in the movie, so that's really what happened. And that becomes a problem because then the movies are rewriting history a lot of times. And this is something that we saw. I brought this up when we were 
uh, before we started recording, but um, I don't talk about this movie much because it's very unpopular to hate it, and I hate it, um, but that's The Social Network. And I do not support Mark Zuckerberg. He's a terrible person. I don't like him. I am not in any way looking at him as sympathetic or anything. But I think that looking at what happened with his story in The Social Network is important because just because someone's an asshole doesn't make it okay to treat them the way that he was treated, the way he was depicted as not at all who he really is. Uh, Well, I mean, the asshole part they got right. But (laughs) some of the other stuff was like very, very inaccurate. And um, but if you're going to say, well, this person sucks, so I'm going to do it, that gives you that gives you tacit permission to do that to anybody, no matter how awesome or terrible they are. And I just that it really concerns me and it really bothers me. And when people have very clearly said, I don't want a movie made about me, then I think that needs to be respected, which is something else that <laughs> we were going to talk about, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, I, yeah. I think that. I think that this is a good thing to to deal with because that it's that issue of the perfect victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens much more to women than to men, but as you're pointing out, it also happens to men. Yeah. Um, and, and this, this idea that, so, so one of, one of the things that um, a lot of reviews have pointed out in Pam and Tommy is that they're treating Pam Anderson as almost this proto-feminist, right? Um, I don't know if Pam Anderson is a feminist or not. I have no idea. I don't know that much about her. But it shouldn't matter, right? What was, she can be an absolute total bitch mm-hmm. who is just like a nasty human being. She still does not deserve to have her consent violated. Exactly. Um, and that's, and you know, that's one of the things that we get into is particularly with some of these stories coming out of um, kind of the early, pre to early internet era, right? The In the nineties, mostly. Um, when, various you know the where tabloids had a lot more power in a lot of ways because you didn't have the internet um and so there was this this kind of weird understanding of what people owned and what people didn't about celebrities but we're getting all these stories about people like paris hilton and um britney spears and pam anderson and there's this desire to to basically turn them into good victims right they they mm-hmm. were actually misunderstood it's just like it doesn't fucking matter if britney spears was or was not misunderstood it doesn't what matters is that she has been imprisoned and violated right right what matters is that pam anderson was violated by the release of her sex tape and is being violated by this show period it doesn't matter what her perspectives are on anything else that's just the reality of it exactly and exactly yeah and I, I do. Th- I just wanted to mention really quickly because I was. I just thought about this after we were talking about American Crime Story. I was like, ah, another show that I have serious problems with um, is Feud. Mm-hmm. Uh, Particularly the the Betty versus Joan whole thing. And one of the issues with Feud is that most of the people involved were dead by the time the show was being made. So mm-hmm. there is very much this impression that oh, this was what happened. Not only that, Olivia de Havilland, who at the time was not dead. <laughs> Right. Um, actually was filed a lawsuit against the show for inaccurately portraying her and using her image without permission. Now she eventually, at the end of the day, she eventually lost it. But it was this sensation of like, you know, you 
it, it was almost like well you thought you were going to get away with it kind of thing mm -hmm. you thought you were going to make a show about a time period where pretty much everyone involved has passed on but you forgot about olivia to have <laughs> right well, and that comes back to what I was saying before, where it's like, okay, just because the law allows these kinds of things to happen, people just go, well, I can do it and it's fine. Like, legally, there's no financial responsibility or anything like that, which I think means maybe it's time to update some laws. Um, but it comes back to, again, the morality of it. It's not just about whether it's legally permissible or not. It's, is this the right thing to do? Yeah, exactly. And and I think that this is where, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about ethics and ethical portrayals in, in films, but I think that there's a, there's a certain ethics to movie making as well. Mm -hmm. What are you choosing to portray? Do you have, you know, and at the end of the day, it's about money, right? The producers of Pam and Tommy have obviously seen that they are going to be successful at this. And yeah. they have good good reason to assume that because of the the number of stories particularly limited series that are being released that are very similar to this right we, we said you know mentioned feud all of the version the uh, different series of american crime story these are successful things but at a certain level and i i'm they're trashy it's trash mm -hmm. right it's this kind of weird fascination with these kinds of scandals and murders and you know, sexual violations and, and things like that. And we love watching those kinds of stories because at some level we really do, it's, it's tabloid, right? It's, um, it's tabloid media, but because it's fictionalized, we can kind of step back from it and be like, well, I'm just enjoying the performances. I'm enjoying the fictionalization of it. Um, but yeah, there, there has to be some kind of moral reckoning <laughs> with, should you be, you know, are you legally allowed to do this? Yes. Should we praise you for doing it? I don't think so. You're so preoccupied with whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, well, and this and this goes into, you know, talking about Betty and Joan and, and Olivia de Havilland, this goes into the, the re fairly recent announcement of the Fred Astaire biopic. Yeah. Uh, and Fred Astaire was... We know what Fred Astaire wanted. Fred Astaire was very vocal about not wanting to be portrayed on film. Mm -hmm. um, and they're still going ahead with it because obviously he does not have control over his image. Right. Uh, he's been dead for a long time. <laughs> um, but again, it's this like, how can you claim that, you know, you're going to be respectful? It could be the most respectful story ever. How can you claim that you're going to be respectful of him when he's literally said that he doesn't want this? Yeah, when the existence of the project is already disrespecting his wishes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I feel like that this is probably true. You know, there are a number of celebrities that have had stories made about them. I know a lot of people have been like, oh, we should make a, a movie about Cary Grant. And Cary Grant himself, who was, was like asked to write his autobiography numerous times, mm -hmm. and he said no because i because that's how i'm going to be remembered and i don't want to be remembered based upon what i write in my autobiography yeah yeah well it's like so madonna there was going to be a biography or a biopic about her a couple years ago i think it was blonde ambition and um she was very opposed to it and ultimately that project fell apart and she was like i 
if there's going to be a movie about me, I'm going to be involved in it. So she's, I think, directing it and co-writing it with Diablo Cody. So she's just like, fuck it. I'm going to tell my own story. And it's like, okay, great. Good for you. You do that. But for people to just decide that they're going to make a movie about someone just because they like them, like, <laughs> it shouldn't, it shouldn't work that way. You know, like, there needs to be, if you really respect, like, just what you're saying, if you really respect this person, then respect their wishes and respect their story. Yes, definitely. Well, and I, the the other day, I think you mentioned something on, um, on Slack about the fact that um, this is being made primarily by men. Yeah. Um, the Particularly the Pam and Tommy show. And so a lot of the people involved, not everybody, but a lot of the people involved are men. And there's this sense of that we we've noted a number of times about the depictions, particularly of the violation of women, whether it's, you know, releasing a sex tape, whether it's about rape, whether it's about, um, you know, simply their their private lives. Uh, there's this sense that right now, especially there's almost a cottage industry of men making shows and films about the violation of women. And it feels like they're kind of, they kind of want to get points for being good feminists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Regardless of whether or not the women actually want them to make these shows. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, it's just like men speaking for women in general. It's like, I mean, we've talked about this a lot too, you know, that, that multi-episode uh, movie or whatever series about women directing movies directed by a man and it's like you know we just see that all the time of men you know we recently had a twitter kerfuffle about you know a guy who wanted to direct a movie about women who love horror movies and it's like you know men want the points like look at what a good little feminist i am look at how good of a job i'm doing supporting women by telling their stories for them and it's like you're how do you not see that you're missing the point? Well, and they, they get really irate when you point it out. Oh, so irate. Yeah. Um, because, because they're not getting the cookies that they want, basically. Yeah. And usually then there are also a group of women who are like, no, he's great. We love him. We want him to do these things. It's just like, but do we? Because you, you might be comfortable with that, but I'm not comfortable with a man speaking for me, period. Exactly. No uh, matter who the man is, and no matter how much I like him. I'm not comfortable with anyone speaking for me for no. that matter. But, but I, yeah, like, whenever we get these stories about, oh, we're going to make this movie about, like, this, this event, and, the, and we're, we're really are supporting this woman, it's just like, but you're not, because you're not giving her her voice. You are speaking for her. Exactly. Um, you're speaking for a group of women. You're speaking for a single woman. Um, and you and you're saying, well, I know how it feels. It's just like, no, you don't. You don't know how this feels. You cannot know how this feels. And and that's okay, right? That's not your fault, right? right. Because you're you're a cisgender man. It is not your fault if you do not know how a woman feels. But you can't impose your voice. And and it does feel like some of these shows are exactly that. They're men imposing their voices. They're making certain that their voices continue to be the dominant ones, mm -hmm. even though they don't completely realize that that's what they're doing. Yeah. Anyways, any any final thoughts on this one? Um, watch something else instead. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good 
good shows on right now. Like, I'm just finishing up Yellow Jackets. Yeah, uh, Yellow Jackets is great. The after party is so much fun. And that's on my list. I also mm-hmm. want to watch, um, what's it called, Murderville. Oh, yeah, I haven't Netflix watched show. that one yet. Yeah, Speaking like of celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's that's like I'm, that's so much that. Like I don't need to watch Pam and Tommy. It's fine. Exactly. Exactly. Plenty of things. Plenty of movies to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the other thing that we wanted to talk about uh, today is is partially because I finally got to see this movie. Um, <laughs> took a long time, but we did get a question from Et Mason Mumbles, and this was: I can't decide which Nightmare Alley to watch first. Any advice? Uh, <laughs> so I. I have yes and no, because I what I think is really bizarre about this is that going into Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley, I had seen the original 47 film three times. Uh, and I, I had just finished reading the book. And I definitely think that both of those experiences shaped my reaction to del Toro's Nightmare Alley. So I'm kind of like, well, I, I you should watch both. I actually think you should probably watch the the um, remake first, hmm. because I think that it goes to places that the original doesn't, um, for good and ill. Like I think that there are some things that I really like about it. There are other things that I I had issues with, um, but I think that the forty seven film is different enough in some way that I feel like the 47 film would reflect more on the remake than the remake does on the 47 film, if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. Because I was actually thinking the other way. Well, there you go. We're not going to answer this question. (laughs) Because I felt like the 47 film um, lays kind of the foundation and gives some information that you don't get in the Del Toro one. But the Del Toro one also really expands on some things that I had questions about in the 47. So I I don't know. For myself, <laughs> I felt like I felt like it was and honestly, I mean, I we both watched the 47 film before we saw the new film. So it's like neither of us has the perspective of watching it the other way. So it's hard to know for sure. But um yeah. Now I have not read the book yet, which is supposed to arrive today, by the way. Um, Yay! It's out for delivery. Uh, but um, anyway, but yeah. So I don't know. I felt like I felt like because the forty-seven film is so much shorter and cuts out so many more details, that it's more of a foundation film. If that makes sense. Um, I think that that's interesting. It's uh, one of the things that I like that the 47 film does that I don't think it's emphasized enough in the remake is this issue of the tarot. Yeah. Um, and the kind of using that and, and actually, and some of this is definitely because I've read the book now, um, is actually something that the book does. The book uses the major arcana um, as kind of a guideline to, mm. that runs throughout the entire story. Like each chapter is headed with uh, a different different tarot card oh okay and and so so there's this kind of reliance on that as in the progression of stan's story and i i kind of understand why del toro didn't go in that direction i don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily but for me personally i like the presence of the tarot 
Mm -hmm. and this little hint of the supernatural that kind of runs throughout everything because it's such a the story overall is about belief and it's about lying and it's about where those two intersect yeah right and what is real and what isn't and part of stan's downfall is that he begins to mix together what is real and what isn't what he's actually capable of and what he's not capable of um and and the presence of the tarot i think helps to to create more of that ambiguity in the viewer uh in the sense that we we have this feeling of fatalism mm -hmm. that runs throughout uh the the film in the 47 film even though i'm not a fan of the ending uh and i think that the the remake does the ending a lot better yeah. it's there's still that that like that little hint of the supernatural that little hint that there's something else going on underneath all of it even though so much of it is about you know stan basically lying to people <laughs> yeah well here's what i'll say and maybe this can help you mason to make up your mind on which which order to do since we did not give you a very uh solid answer um well we each gave a solid answer but there were opposite answers um but i think so the 47 film fills in a lot of information about the supporting characters around stan the yeah. del toro film fills in a lot of details about stan specifically and also like the antagonists um the two main antagonists to the story but the stories themselves are basically the same the details you know it's like the structure of the story is the same the plot is the same but it just basically i guess whichever one you want to watch first is you know going to be based on if you want to know more of the backstory of the characters around stan or if you want to know more about stan first yeah i think that that's probably accurate uh <laughs> the second another question, question from connor groat <laughs> the second question which leads into my major problem <laughs> with del toro's <laughs> film uh is from connor uh question concerning nightmare alley for lauren did you really think bradley cooper was terrible yes connor i did <laughs> I did. I well, let me let me give him provide a little bit more nuance to that. I didn't think he was terrible, right? I I don't think he's a bad actor. I think he's a very boring actor. Um, I on Twitter I compared him to unsalted butter, and you know what? Unsalted butter can be useful. We you know I use unsalted butter in baking all the time. It's usually not the main feature of baking um and that's part of the problem when you have when unsalted butter is the only thing that you're given uh it it, it becomes it's it's dull it's not interesting <laughs> um it's it should be used to enhance flavors not to to not be the main flavor i guess <laughs> that's what it comes down to but so yeah one of my my biggest problem honestly with del toro's film was bradley cooper and and some of this again and i think that a lot of this has caveats for me um in my personal reaction because i had seen the 47 film i'd read the book stan i felt really needed to be charismatic and my charismatic i mean you've got to believe that other people would believe him that he would be able to sell um all of his his lies basically and do it in a way that's really convincing and I never bought that with Bradley Cooper. I felt like people believed him because the script required that they believe him, not because he was actually believable. Uh, 
And the, the other issue that I had with him is that dude's 47. And they kept on referring to him as kid throughout the first like half of the movie. And I'm sitting there going like, he is visibly like two years younger than you. Two years younger, Zena. <laughs> um he's this is a grown-ass man this is not like a teenager this is not you know a 20 something it's not even a 30 something this is a guy who is 47 years old um and because of that it felt like he was supposed to be naive in ways that in the initial kind of creation of the of the uh, of his character he was it felt like he was supposed to be naive and I was just like, no, have you just been locked in that house for the past 47 years? Like you, do, you don't know anything about the world outside of it. Is that it? Uh, and, and That's interesting because I took, I got a very different thing from it. So that's, that's funny. Well, well, I mean, convince me otherwise, you know, what else? Do, what did well, you Well, I'm sure I can't convince you because <laughs> no, you also don't, don't like Bradley Cooper. Yes, um, that that's the other caveat. This really was an uphill battle for me. Like, I was willing for him to convince me, but it was, it's definitely more of a challenge. Yeah. And see, and that's the thing is like, for me, I do like Bradley Cooper. I always have. Um, I, it's funny cause <laughs> it sounds so weird, but like sometimes I forget that I like him. Um, cause like I hated his A Star is Born and all the press that came around that and all the praise that he was getting and still continues to get, oh my gosh, I swear if I see one more tweet about how he really should have won best actor that year, I'm going to scream. But, um, but I just... So because of that movie, like, occasionally I forget that I like him. But every time I see him and stuff, I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, I like you. You are cute. <laughs> and and I personally, I did believe him as being someone who could charm an audience into just, like, believing what he was saying um, in the way that Stan does. I do agree that he... Um, like the whole calling him kid thing was weird. And I actually think that it would have probably been better if they'd cast someone younger um, in that role. But as far as the him supposed to be naive, I didn't get that part at all. I I didn't think that, like, I, I, and maybe this is just me reading into things that aren't there, assuming facts not in evidence, but... Um, for me, it was like, anyway, goes back to his childhood home, does what he does, goes back out on the road and is just kind of wandering because he's never really had any direction in his life, never really had anywhere to go and just kind of is wandering aimlessly, finds, finds the carnival. And that's something that like, he kind of just finds the community he's never had. That was how I took it. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I just found his... You know, it, it was interesting because I realized he doesn't really have a line. He doesn't, um, yeah. Not a single good, line until, yeah. For a good portion of, of that opening. Like, it, it's him on the screen most of the time, but he doesn't actually say anything. Mm -hmm. And the, well, and maybe that's the other thing that kind of bothered me about it a little bit, is that people, like, would keep on being like, oh, you've got real moxie, kid. Yeah, you're going to do great here. It's just like he's literally Based on what, yeah. Based on what? <laughs> he is standing there. He looks like... He's he's just standing. It's those there. piercing blue eyes, Lauren. There's That's enough. 
you can't see the piercing blue eyes in that and like all of the rain and everything. It's just like, he was literally just standing there. Why? You know, these carnival people who are supposed to be really savvy and everything. It's just like, ah, oh, you're going to make a real big hit. It's just like, no, he's not. He's not because he's a 47 year old man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I liked him. And I thought that in the later stuff, he was very good. And the stuff with him and Kate Blanchett, I was all into but I agree that it would have been even a better film if they had gone with someone younger. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I did love Kate Blanchett. I, oh I think that, and <laughs> and I like that. You know, asking about should I see the forty-seven film? Should I see the the remake first? Um, I it's interesting because the the character is so similar and yet so different. Yeah. And what motivates her and her behavior and the way that she relates to him is so different. And I, and I liked that because I felt like I wasn't sitting there the entire time comparing them. Yeah. Um, it was more like, oh, you're doing something completely different. I'm down with that. Like, that's mm -hmm. fine. Uh, and, and I really did enjoy that. And yeah, there, there is a scene where I was just like, oh, this is what I came for. This is why I'm here. Like, <laughs> this is exactly what I've been waiting to see. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's especially one particular line that she says, and I'm not going to say it because I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it is, I was just like, I was just like, yay! <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this for me personally. Yep. Yeah, this was, you know, I've always admired Kate Blanchett, but this is the movie where I realized it's more than admiration. <laughs> she's she's something, I think I think you mentioned not that long ago that, uh, you know, she, she really is timeless. Yeah. And it feels like this, like, this is her role, that this was, role was written specifically for her, even though the original film role was written in 47 and the original book is like 46. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think it was even 41. And so it's like the book was written 70 years before, yeah. <laughs> like 70 years ago. And yeah. Yes, well, like we said, she is a vampire. <laughs> it's the only explanation. And, and she's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I do recommend both films to, at, at the end of the day, I think the 47 film is great. I like it on balance a little bit more, I think. And, and some of that is because of Tyrone power. Mm -hmm. um, but I also really enjoyed the del Toro film. I think that there's a lot of good things in it and, and the, the aesthetic is gorgeous. Oh I would love gosh, to yeah. see it. I would love to see the black and white version. Um, even though I think the color works great as well, but I think it would be really interesting to see the contrast. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I recommend both of them at the end of the day. <laughs> Yay! I'm just glad that you weren't hugely disappointed with the Del Toro film. And I really didn't think you would be, but I know how you feel about Bradley Cooper. And that is <laughs> definitely an obstacle to overcome. It's like, yeah. you know, like there are certain actors I can't stand. And if they're in a movie, I'm probably not going to like it. Jesse Eisenberg. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I don't dislike Bradley Cooper. I just am very <laughs> unimpressed by him. Okay. All right. That's fair. I dislike Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, <laughs> also fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that is going to close us out. Uh, yeah. We had some fun conversations. And, and to let everybody know, we are doing all kinds of updates and things like that on our website, on our Zazzle store. Karen is 
all into that. So and not there... just planning updates. They're actually in the works. We have some new stuff that will be hitting the Zazzle store by the time you hear this episode. Yeah, so definitely it's already go, submitted. <laughs> definitely go check out our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. Um, and of course, we want to thank our patrons who include Adriana, Ali, Connor, Estefania, uh, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. And by the way, guys, we are like in the process of getting like actual things out to you, which you deserve. Um, so we have stuff on order for real. We do actually. So be on the lookout for that. We are slow, but we're getting there. (laughs) 2022 Uh, is our year, man. It's happening. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to join our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash citizen dame. You get bonus episodes. You will be getting some fun, like welcome gift stuff. Um, and we're going to try to do some more watch parties and things like that. So a lot of stuff is is coming down the line and we are actually making plans and doing things finally. Mm -hmm. Um, you can yeah, also if do- you're on, sorry, I'm just going to jump in again. I keep doing okay. that. I apologize. But if you are a Patreon subscriber, make sure you go in and, and add a mailing address in there because like, a, like Lauren just said, we are going to be mailing some stuff out to you and we need an address. So, Yes. Uh, so we also have a Ko-Fi account, ko-fi.com slash citizen name if you want to throw us a few dollars without joining a Patreon. But really, please, if you would like to join the Patreon, that would be great because uh, it's it's very helpful. Um, we have our website, citizendamepod.com, where we have reviews and Blu-ray stuff, and we are going to be getting more things out. I've got a few essays that I've been working on that I really want to finish and get up there. Um, so keep an eye out for that. You can also get in touch with us. Our email is citizendamepod at gmail.com, and you can get in touch with us via Twitter and Instagram. That That's at citizendamepod. We are also on Letterboxd at citizendame, so go and check all those various things out. And if you want to get in touch with us individually, we are there as well. Uh, I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LHBusiness. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Did you knock this off the table? No, you must have dropped it yourself. Don't see how I could. Was it face up or down? Face down. Are you sure? Yeah, why? Couldn't be like that. It's too awful. It's too crazy. What's got into you? Get your bath and get out of here. What's the matter? It's all off, Stan. The act? Everything. But what have I done? Nothing, but I can't go against the cards. You don't believe in that junk. I didn't used to, but time after time they told me I was going to ruin Pete's life, and I went right ahead. Here's Pete's card. What are you worrying about? Is this the one that was on the floor? No, this one. You see what it means? Are you satisfied? Zena, it just doesn't make sense. Maybe not. Maybe it's silly, maybe it isn't. Listen, honey. We've all got to die sometime. Sure, but when a card falls on the floor, whatever happens, good or bad, is going to happen fast. And when a card falls face down, it's bad. Zena, that's for the chumps. It's been true of Pete and me so far, hasn't it? (sighs) Honest, Zena, to see a smart girl like you fall for one of your own boob catchers, I give up. Yes, sir, I give up. I don't believe it. Huh? You never give up.